Welcome to the Axe Church Leander podcast. Join us in person or online on Facebook at 9.30 a.m. All right. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is what we're reading. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray as we dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we're excited to see what you're going to do in this time. Lord, as we reflect on what level Christ is willing to go to have a relationship with us, and and why that truth, Lord, that that he is raised back to life again, Lord, is so critical, so pivotal, so transformative to our faith. Lord, I pray that in this time you speak. We say this all in your Son's precious name. Amen. So we're in this little mini-series. We, we just finished up the Red Letter Challenge where we spent time in Scripture with God's Word and really the words of Jesus. And, and we're heading into a series called As We Go where we're going to talk about how do we as Christians on a day-to-day basis really grow in our faith? How does that shape us? How does that mold us? And I, I had these couple of weeks that I was f- trying to figure out what to do with. And last week, we, we did one of the songs that we have been uh, singing recently. And this week, we're going to do the same thing. And the reason why is because every moment of a Sunday service, both when we do the words of institution, all right, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, through the benediction, should be teaching us, should be forming us about the God that we have. And music is one of the critical ways that God has used to shape and form his church. It's not just songs that we we like the melody to or songs that emotionally make us feel good. But at its best, worship music, whether it's with a guitar, a piano, an organ, a cappella, should be reminding us or teaching us about the God that we have. And so we've been using this couple of weeks to reflect on some of the songs. And this song, Christ is Risen, for me, is one of the most pivotal, foundational, cornerstone songs or at least cornerstone truths of the church. Because if we, if we don't believe this, that Christ is risen, Paul is going to tell us in just a little bit, we're missing the point. If we don't get this fact, if we don't understand the importance of this truth, everything else we do as Christians, Paul is going to say, is meaningless, is pointless. That, that, that's how pivotal this is. Sometimes when you talk to non-Christians or even Christians, and you say, well, if you, if you had to say one thing about Christians that they believed, what would it be? And we can fall into the trap of, well, it, it's just love your neighbor as yourself, right? Or, or the golden rule, treat others as you wish to be treated. And for sure, Jesus talks about these things. These are good things. These are foundational truths to who we are, but they are not the foundational truth of who we are as Christians. What we're going to see in Scripture is that if this isn't true, Christ is risen, the whole system falls apart. But conversely, if this is true, then it gives us hope 
and strength and power that, that so often we forget that we have in Christ. And so like we did last week, we're going to go through verse by verse, talking through why these words, why we sing these words, and, and how they shape our faith. So the song goes, Ver, uh, chorus one, or verse one, line one, let no one caught in sin remain in the side the lie of inward shame. Right? Like last week, Lord, I need you, started with, Lord, we come, we confess. This song starts off admitting, let no one caught in sin, in all the brokenness, in all the hurt, in all the things that we, we know we're not supposed to do, all the past mistakes that for some reason we can't let go of. That, 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 that one statement we said to a family member that still haunts us, that one time right, that we just can't seem to let go of. The song says, let all who have that inward shame, that inward sin, that inward shame, that stuff that we did, we don't have to get caught up there anymore. And there's both a promise there, but there is also a hard truth that, that we don't get to play pretend, right? And, and Scripture's pretty clear in this. This comes from the Psalms. For I know my transgression, David writes, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, David says, sinful from the time that I was conceived. Right? David doesn't play pretend with God. There are some religions, and that's fine that they do this, in and of them, their own religion, that says, no, we can be good enough for God. That, that if I just clean my life up enough, I, I can build a ladder, I can build a stairway to heaven. And, and Scripture is really clear, no, you can't. We, we were never going to be able to get enough rungs up the ladder because we have a larger, deeper sin problem th than most of us myself included, most of the time are comfortable to admit. And yet the good news is God wasn't like, well, you guys can't get up here. You guys can't make it up to heaven, so shame on you. Good luck with that. Instead, he said, no, 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 I, I'm going to fix that for you. And so instead of us building a ladder to heaven, what we have is heaven coming down and living for his people. Song goes on. We fix our eyes upon the cross and run to him who showed great love and he bled for us. Freely, freely he bled for us. Right, now, now we're going to the story of how far God would go to have a relationship with us. That when we fix our eyes on the cross, when we remember why he did what he did, it, it gives us confidence in a way that transcends what's happening around us. I, I remember, and I, I wish I would have brought it today, uh, there's something called a praying cross. And literally what it is, it's a cross that you can get your hands around, and it's kind of shaped in a way that like form fits your palm. And my family, this would have been 15 years ago now, uh, was really going through a tough time. There was some uh, uh, challenges from a mental health standpoint that uh, we as a family were kind of going through. And my pastor at the time uh, came over and he gave it to me. He said, Josh, uh, when you pray, this might help you. 
He said, why, what do you mean, why is this going to help me? And he said, because when you pray, what it's going to remind you of is how far God would go to have a relationship with you. That he would go to the cross. And if God was willing to go to that length to have a relationship with you, do you think he's going to leave you alone in this situation? And it didn't magically make the situation better, right? The mental illness didn't just disappear overnight, but it allowed me to trust in God in a way that I otherwise wouldn't naturally be inclined to. And so the song reminds us, no, no, this God that we have, he would die for us. And the cool thing about Scripture, the cool thing about Jesus, this was always the plan. Right? Sometimes we can get into our head where like, well, Jesus just showed up and it was kind of like plan D, plan E of God's because humanity screwed up so many times. But instead, what we see is 500 years before Jesus shows up, we have these words written in Isaiah. Oh, wait, uh, we will get to Isaiah. First, we'll start in Philippians. Jesus, uh, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right? So this is the story. This is how far God would go to have a relationship with us. God becomes man, puts on human flesh, moves into the neighborhood, or literally in Greek, pitches his tent among us. Right? He comes doesn't just teach, doesn't just say, hey, here's a better way to live, but says, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to die for you. I'll even go to the cross for you. So this is from Philippians, right? Okay, the song continues on. And beneath the weight of all our sin, you, you bow to none but heaven's will. Right? And now, I'm pretty sure, is where I'm going to get to the uh, Isaiah verse. Surely, and again, this is 500 years before Jesus shows up. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was, uh, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Literally, centuries before Jesus shows up, God told us what the plan was going to be. That all that brokenness, all that hurt, all the times where we were supposed to go right and we went left, it was all going to be put on Jesus. Not just mine, not just yours, but everyone's communitively was placed on him. And he was willing to do it. He was willing to take that bullet. He was willing to serve that way. And this was always the plan. And I think that, to me, is one of the most humbling aspects of the Christ narrative. He was born into knowing this was the plan. It didn't make it easier, right? I mean, literally the last conversation we see with Jesus and his father is in the garden, where he goes before his father and praying so passionately that he starts bleeding tears, right? Blood starts to pop in his uh, blood vessels. 
That, that's how stressed he is because he realizes what he's about to take on, and yet he did not consider that too high of a price to have a relationship with you, to have a relationship with me, to have a relationship with your kids and your neighbor and that guy who cuts me off perpetually. Song goes on. No scheme of hell, no scoffer's crown, no burden great will hold you down. This comes from the Matthew narrative. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him. They mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. The narrative, the story, is the king comes to his people and his people reject him. And if that was just it, if they just rejected him, if they said, yeah, we're going to go a different way, that would be one thing. But that wasn't humanity's response. Instead, our response was to be like, yeah, not only do we not want you, um, we're going to put an end to this. We're going to finalize this. We're going to make sure you stop. And so we mock him. We beat him. And then we execute him. That, that's how far we would go. Right? And I, I talk about this a lot, how far God would go to have a relationship with us. Left to our own devices, humanity will go to a rather extreme length not to have a relationship with God. And that's what the cross is all about. And so humanity throws our worst at God. Do you know what God does with it? He takes our worst and he turns it into his strength. He, he takes our worst shot and he does something miraculous and beautiful and life-sustaining and life-saving. In strength you reign... So forever let your church proclaim that we thought we were taking God off the board. We thought we were taking his hero, his Messiah, and saying, you know what, we've got a better way to do it. And in us making that choice, and y'all, that was humanity's choice. Scripture is really clear. Humanity has a sin problem, not just one culture, not just one people. I would love to say if Acts Church Leander had lived during Jesus' time, we would have got it right. But, but the reality is, no, we, we would have mucked it up just as bad. Right? We would have said y'all a lot more when we were doing it, probably. But, but we would still make the same mistakes. We'd still make the same choices because left to our own devices, sin always leads to the same consequences. Destruction of relationships between us and God, us and each other, and us and our world. Humanity threw our worst, best shot at God, and God turned it into a miracle. Therefore, Philippians continues, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at his name, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember that word therefore is connecting to something before us. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God says, this is what real strength looks like. Sacrifice and love 
And God says, I'm going to show you how powerful love and sacrifice can be. In, in the face of all that hurt, in the face of all that pain, in all the betrayal, in humanity's worst moment, God says, I'm going to show you something miraculous and beautiful. And even the grave would not be able to contain what God was about to do through Christ. So Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. We throw our worst. He sacrifices himself, and he comes back. And, and why is this such a big deal? Well, well Paul's going to be really explicit to the early church. So, so when you look at the New Testament, it's kind of broken up into two separate parts. The four Gospels, which are the narratives of Christ, and then the Epistles, which are letters to the early church. And like the modern church, Christians have a lot of different thoughts on what God is trying to do, right? That's why we have so many denominations. That's why some people like organs and some people like guitars, right? That, that's why all churches are so different, because we are still arguing of what God is trying to do. So this is nothing new, right? And so the apostles are writing to the church to help them navigate through what is orthodoxy, what is right teaching of who Christians are and what's not. And so he's writing to the church in Corinth. And they were wrestling with Christ. And they were wrestling with questions like, was Christ just a good teacher? Did he just morally teach people how to live? They were wrestling with questions like, what is the physical body and why did he come? Okay, so he died. But then one of the questions was, did he really come back to life again? Because in Greek thought... The physical body was the problem. And the intellectual, the mind, was the good thing. And so Jesus didn't really have to physically come back from the dead to still be in a better place within the Greek culture and thought. And so Paul is writing to the church, and he says this. He lays down a marker. He says, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul would later go on to write in the same section of Scripture, if Christ is not raised, we are to be pitied among all men. Because Christianity is worthless if he didn't come back. That's how monumental Paul said this one belief, this one foundation was going to be to the rest of our faith, that if this didn't happen, if this isn't real, everything else is pointless. And he's right. It's all on whether or not Christ was raised from the dead. And sometimes as Christians, we can get away from that. We can shy away from that because it can be controversial. It's, it's, it's one of those things that we say, no, this is an absolute fact. And it, 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 even preaching on this, right, can be uncomfortable, can be weird. Like, really, though, is it that important? Well, speaking of C.S. Lewis... Luke mentioned him earlier. He had a statement about Christ and the apostles. Uh, and he said, Christ was either Lord, liar, or lunatic, but those are the only three options you get. He could have been a liar, right? He, he could have said, hey, I'm God's son, I'm the Messiah, and he could have lied about that, right? He could have been crazy, right? He could have just been straight up nuts, Right? had some kind of mental illness. 
and thought he was God's son and the Messiah, or he was Lord. But, but the, you only get one of those three options. And if he was a liar, why would he lie all the way to the cross? And if he was a lunatic, why did so many of his followers follow him? Or his Lord. And he actually was who he said he was. And it actually then explains why his followers still followed him after his death. Why would you follow some? Why would you start saying he's alive? We've seen him. If you didn't, it either makes them liars or lunatics or believing in a Lord. Because everything depends on this. It's this miracle that sets up all the other miracles in the Christian faith. All our other trust that he's going to be able to take care of everything else. All the brokenness in our families. All, all, all the sin that seems to just haunt us. If he can cover that, then he can cover this. But if he didn't do that, then we're in trouble. Paul continues on in Corinthians. He says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead will also come through one man. For in Adam all will die. So in Christ all will be made alive. Right? This is the Genesis narrative. This is another foundational teaching of the faith that sin infected everybody. That through Adam and Eve and that choice of telling God, hey, we're going to handle it ourselves. We, we know you said to do this, but we'd rather do that. Humanity's first worst idea, which ultimately led to our worst idea with Christ on the cross. It, it infected all of us. But Paul says, though sin came through one person, life will come through one person in Christ, Paul says. And then he continues to unpack what that looks like. The song goes on, come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. This, this promise that because he lives, we will live, both here and now, but into eternity. And even those who have gone before us will still live. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead, Paul says. The body that is sown in perishable, it will be raised in imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, and it will be raised in power. It's sown in a natural body, and it's raised in a spiritual body. For if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Last time I talked about this verse was after the death of a young girl. Um, a lot of you in the congregation had been praying for her for a long time, and she had a tragic accident that left her uh, near death immediately afterwards and then struggling every day since. And about a month ago, she passed. And I went to visit the, the family a couple of days, well, the next day. And I was sitting with them, and I was praying, and it's one of those situations that nothing I say is going to make things right, right? There are just some tragic situations in life that there is no words that are going to fix something. So I didn't go in trying to fix things, but I went in with prayer and just asking God, what, what is your truth here? What is your word here? What, what are you doing here? And, and this was the verse that came to mind. This was the truth. 
that everything here on earth is perishable. Everything here on earth is decaying. Right? And we see that, we know that. So I've lost both of my grandfathers, and they both died in a similar fashion. They were both over 90, so their physical body was decaying, and they both had Alzheimer's, and so their mental body was decaying. And it's tragic and it's heartbreaking, but that makes sense. End of life, we see it, but, but sometimes we see it way sooner, right? And that's where it really breaks hard. And so whether it's a little girl or a young man who dies in a car accident or just a broken, marred world, we see it. And this is the promise that what is sown imperishable will be raised imperishable. That what is sown marred by sin and all the brokenness that comes with it the physical choices that I've made, right? All those bags of Doritos that I just keep on shoving into my mouth, right? Those choices are going to be raised something different. All, all of the, the, the hurt and the scars that we carry, all of it is going to be raised in immortality, in a physical body. And that's the big thing. That was what Paul was arguing about with Christ being raised. Because, guys, it wasn't a spiritual resurrection of the dead. It wasn't an intellectual resurrection of the dead. No, he had a physical body that is now raised in immortality that can no longer be affected by things like death and sickness. Paul writes to the church and he says, Y'all, what Christ started, he finished. And he finished it with such an exclamation point that we can trust him with everything else. That we don't have to be in terror of a physical world that has broken issues. But because he said, wow, the big thing, sin, he took care of, he's going to take care of X, Y, or Z situation. There's no better hands to put that person in, that life situation in, because our God specializes in those situations, we, humanity, threw our worst at him. And he turned it into a miracle. What does that mean for our lives? What does that mean for those situations that we're praying about, that we're frustrated by, that break our hearts? It means that it doesn't fix them immediately. It doesn't mean we have to play pretend and say this isn't a bad thing, but it means that we have a God that we get to have faith in, that he is going to do something and specializes in doing something good for his kids song goes on. So, oh death, where is your sting? Oh hell, where is your victory? Again, this comes straight from that same section of scripture, 1 Corinthians. When the, per uh, when the perishable has been clothed in imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up. So, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? That even death couldn't overcome our Messiah, our hero, and so we have that same hope and that same trust. And it doesn't make death less painful, but it means it's not the end of the story. That the story continues on. That God is still writing it for you and for me and for your family. And the 
the imperishable, the immortal, the good is still at work and the end of the story still ends with us riding in the sunset with God for all eternity. And we actually get that they lived happily ever after. So teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. So because of all of that, because I believe, because we believe, because we know that even death couldn't be defeated, that death wasn't the end of the story, we look at our lives different. Or a little earlier, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to all mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out. The promise that the sin that's still trying to entangle us, that's trying to get us caught up, he goes, I'm not going to leave you there. It's not you against the world, Josh. It's not you against the world, Acts Church. I'm there with you, and I'm going to help you navigate it. And I'm going to give you an off-ramp from sin and an on-ramp to life and, and beauty and strength and the good fruits of the Spirit that God has for his kids. Right? Well, we're not left to our own devices. We have a God who says, I'm with you, and I'm never going to leave you. I never will forsake you. To the very ends of the earth, he says. And then the song ends. O church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Right? This statement of truth. So, O Acts church, we, we don't have to go back to the darkness. We don't have to go live in temptation. We get to stand in his light, his truth, his life. Our God's not dead, he's alive. And because he's alive, we get to live differently. Because he lived, his promise, I have come that you may have life in life to the full, starts here and now. Not just in heaven, not just in eternity. Here and now, he says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationship with your kids, in your relationship with your neighbor. I have come to teach you a different way. And because I defeated death, you can trust me with this other stuff too. Because I defeated sin, you know I'm fighting for you and I'm fighting for yours. Because I'm a God of life, I have life for you. And so Paul ends his diatribe to the Corinthian church, and he says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Literally, this is after he goes through this whole diatribe of Christ is risen, it's important, he's alive. We have immortality to look forward to. And because all of that, he says, stand firm and give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, to the things of Jesus, to loving your neighbor as yourself, to treating others as you want to be treated because you stand firm on the truth and the foundation that he defeated death. Do you see how now all of a sudden those moral teachings of Christ have more power? 
Because if he's just a moral teacher and it's me against the world, I've played that battle a bunch of times. I get rolled every single one of them, right? When it's Josh's best thinking against whatever is happening in the world, I end up face planting a lot, right? I've got a really good track record of that. All of us have a really good track record of that. And so if it's my own power, we're already dead in the water. But, but if Christ really did raise from the dead, and, and he really is saying, church, I have power for you all, the same power that raised me back to life, I want to breathe into you. And I want to move in you to love differently, to live differently. Y'all, then we are the Energizer Bunny. And we got the God battery pack on our back. And that God battery pack transcends death. It transcends sin. It transcends all the brokenness of this world. And we get to live like Paul tells the church. So stand firm. and Devote yourself fully to the things of God because that labor isn't in vain. We get to plant seeds here on earth that grow into eternity. Y'all, that's good news. That is a song worth singing. That is a truth worth building our faith on. A, a truth that will pay dividends now in your current family, in your current neighborhood, in our current nation, in our current world, and into heaven itself. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to end with some prayer and into a time of confession uh, where we can both admit, yep, God, we're still face planting a lot. Uh, we still try to make our own way. We still throw our worst at you sometimes. But with the truth and the promise that we, our sins are forgiven, that he does, remembers them no more. Acts Church, pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is so easy. It is so natural to our sinful Adam side of the family. Lord, to forget the truth of who you are, what you did for us. Lord, uh, to act just like the world. Lord, and, and try to do it ourselves. Uh, try to win as opposed to trying to love. Lord, and, and that sin, Lord, it manifests itself in line. It manifests itself in anger, in bitterness, in vanity, in greed. Lord, and it breaks down the relationships we have with our family, our friends, and our community. So, Lord, we come before you now asking forgiveness. Lord, for the times where we haven't lived out of your life but our old life. But, Lord, we are bold to ask for forgiveness because your scripture says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just. And you forgive us and from all unrighteousness, Lord. And so we believe, we stand firm in the truth, Lord, that we as your children, our sins are forgiven. You remember them no more. Lord, and because you live, we live for those you put in our lives. We say this all in your son's precious name. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about our church at axechurchleander.com.